0: Well, it's good to be back with you all. I, I didn't look at my, uh, my sermon uh, Excel file to see when the last time I was here, but uh, it's always good to be with you all. You're very encouraging, and it's always a sweet time to be with you. And uh, so thank you for having me back. Lord willing, I'll be here next week, unless the Lord tarries or the Lord takes me home. So uh, with that, let me pray for our time in the Word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege that we have, as Cliff has already alluded to, Uh, a time before your word. And Father, as uh, Cliff also alluded, we are weak and we are frail. And so we ask now that you would do what we can't even do for ourselves, and that is to cause us to progress in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. That you would meet with us now, wherever we are, whatever our concerns are, whatever our fears are, that by your Spirit, by the light of the Gospel, you would overrule the darkness, and that we might leave here rejoicing in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in your bulletin, the title of the sermon is One Gospel, Two Aromas, and uh, the text is 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17. If you would, please turn to that text. And uh, it is true that I'll be preaching from that text this morning, but I also wanted to read a portion of uh, chapter 4, 1-18. to 18, And I'll do that first. And my reasoning is, is that this gives us a context of the ministry of Paul. Uh, again, as as Cliff was saying, we always need to come back to the Word. The Word of God is always a light into our path. It will continue to be a light into our path, to our last breath, till the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And we need to keep coming and keep coming, and Lord willing, it will continue to mold us into the image of His Son as we hear it by the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So as we're uh, going to hear from 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 4 to 17. Please, uh, you can look at chapter 4. Let me see if I can get there before you all. And uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 18, and this is Paul speaking about his ministry. <clears throat> Here is the word of the living God. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. For even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then over to uh, chapter 2, verses 14 to 17 of Paul speaking about his ministry again. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is a wonderful uh, summation of uh, a faithful Christian ministry. And what I'd like for us to do today is to look at this passage in three points. The first is the power of ministry, the power of ministry. The second are the effects of ministry, the effects of ministry. And then finally, the method of ministry, the method of ministry. All of these are very important. And so if I'm faithful to my, my plan with this sermon, this sermon is going to look like a bell curve. The first point I'll touch on, but most of my time will be spent on the second point, and then we'll move down with less, less time on the last point. So hopefully I'll give you a little bit of a time schedule as we go through this sermon. So first, the power of ministry, and we see this in verse two, 214. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, that the power of ministry is a triumphant ministry or a triumphal ministry. It always moves forward in its purpose, not because of us, but because of Christ, but because of Christ, that as the church and individuals seek to be faithful to the Lord with the message entrusted to them, in the manner that he calls us to uh, execute the ministry, we should have great expectation of triumph. Not triumph the way the world displays it or expects, with great uh, pomp and circumstance. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's revivals. And the church amazingly just grows exponentially. But a lot of times it's the quiet, slow, forward progress of the lordship of Christ in our hearts. When Cliff was speaking earlier, that, what he said about the gospel and its work in his life has been the, my same experience. There's this slow, steady progress that keeps invading my soul in a glorious way where sin is manifested more deeply, where I thought, oh, it's, it's it's bad actions, it's bad words, it's bad deeds, and it's like, no, it's bad affections too. But as we come back to the word week after week, this great gift that the Lord has given us, our souls are cleansed, our sins are made made manifest to us, and we say, oh, it's so much deeper than I thought. And yet at the same time, we have the gospel. As Cliff alluded to with his daughter, I'll start weeping, it was such a glorious story, that the gospel is presented before our eyes in light of the depth of even these sins. And I'll touch on this later in our sermon, but I want us to consider again that this is a triumphant ministry. It's triumphant because of Christ and because of Christ alone, You see, now, as believers in Christ, we're not just ourselves. We're not just ourselves. That was the problem all along before we were in Christ. We were ourselves. That's what the fall of man did to us. It made us autonomous, autonomous, without the one we were made for, the Lord Jesus Christ, even in creation. We were made for him and through him and by him, for him. And so at the fall, we lost that wonderful, glorious communion with him, and fell into darkness because we had lost our purpose, which is for him and him alone. You know, I, uh, when I was a kid, I always liked I liked cars and I liked certain things. I had a tire. I don't know what it came off of, a tractor or something. And I loved it. It was kind of like a treasure of mine. But a tire by itself doesn't do anything. It's meant for the whole car, to get the car moving. The tire looks good. I mean, you can, you can enjoy it in some ways. I guess you can roll it, but it's not there for its purpose. And as time goes on, as I'm in the word of God, it's so obvious, I am not the center of the universe. I am not the sole reason that uh, I exist. But that I am here, as the, our first catechism question says, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And slowly over time, what God does through the gospel is he humbles us and he, he, he gives us light to see it's not all about me; it's about Christ. And in that process, so many anxieties go away, so many fears disappear, because it's not about us. It's not about us. You know, we come and go, we fade and die like flowers that grow in beauty. That's what we sing. It's not about us, but see, the work of Christ goes forward. Our ministry goes forward because of Christ, because of our union with Him. Once we're united to Christ, we're not our own anymore. We're not ourselves anymore. We're us united to Christ, a bond that will never be dissolved. And I think so often, if I can have an early application here, is that we keep thinking, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to do this. And it's not that God doesn't have things for us to do, but he never intends for us to do them by ourselves because it's always relying on the strength of Christ. It's like a pipeline. as We're united to Christ. It's like a pipeline. And his strength is, uh, is transferred to us in our weakness, in our fears, in our frailties. It's interesting that Paul, he says, we have this treasure, as the passage I read early. Uh, the, sur- the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're jars of clay jars of clay. I'll speak for myself, this jar, this, this jar of clay is getting worse. It's getting weaker. It's not getting stronger as the years, years go by. I'll try to work on keeping it in shape, but it's still going to deteriorate. I'll eventually die unless the Lord tarries. But it's so important, and this is a, kind of a late life lesson for me, that it's united to Christ that we go forward, whether it's individuals or families or the church. We're not supermen. I love Superman. growing up. I still have an affection for the comic book hero, Superman. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm immature. But somebody's like, yeah, why not? But my point is we're not supermen and superwomen or superchildren. We're not. We were made for God. We are creatures who were made to be dependent and in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the fall, that was torn asunder. And so as we think about the events of this last week, I was... I was in San Antonio the day before the shooting. I wasn't that far from where the shooting happened. I was, there, I was down in Texas with Marco Pica for a wedding of a friend of ours from high school. And, you know, I hear these kind of things all the time, and oftentimes they just kind of roll off my back. And during the week I walk with this older gentleman, he's older than me, and, uh, and we started talking about it, and I started kind of wanting to weep. It's just sad. But it's not to be surprised that those things happen in light of the fall. That's how much the fall has messed us up, has brought us into darkness, so that sin and corruption entered the world through that first sin. And yet what Christ does is he comes as the second Adam, and he reverses all of that. He reverses our relationship with with himself and with the Father. His Father becomes our Father as we are adopted into the family of God. His will becomes our new will. We start to fight against the sins that we used to give into and love. And slowly over time, as we come to the Word, that grip on sin that we have, that iron grip starts to release as we want to please the Lord. That mighty power that delivers us from sin. And so the church goes forward uh, as somebody says, with a limp, <laughs> victorious, strong in the Lord, not in ourselves. And it's so important if I <laughs> if I leave you with one thing this morning is to remember that we're strong in the Lord and not in ourselves. We still go to our our fallback of the of the past. If we're Christians, we try to make it happen ourselves. We try to do it in our time, in our way, in our method. But praise be to God that his salvation is so great is that he transforms us from one degree of glory to another into the image of his son so that we're transformed, we're different people. This past, I don't know, I forgot what date, earlier this month I, I had celebrated my 30th year as a, as a ruling elder. And over the years, you know, you see, you have to deal with lots of situations in the church. And over and over again, I knew people over a long course of time and, you know, back in the day when I first met them, I would talk to them, and you know, and kind of expect how they're going to respond to situations. But over the course of our, our uh, congregation, I would uh, come to interact with them again, similar to it in the past, but it's a different response by them. They're a different person. They've been transformed by the gospel, and they give a more of a gospel answer in their response. But that's the power of Christ at work in individuals, and in the church. And so we we ought to be aware and even kind of take stock of what the Lord has done in our own lives. You could have your own life history of what God has done, sins that you used to think, ah, it doesn't matter, and now you're embarrassed to think you ever did it. It's just the work of the gospel. It's the work of the power of Christ in us. And so it's a triumphal ministry. We go in weakness Later in this letter, this wonderful letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I boast in my weakness. Wouldn't that be an interesting resume to send out to a prospective job person? I boast in my weakness. Well, I failed here and I failed there. and you know, That wouldn't probably be the best idea, but there, there's a sense in which that's what we have. And Paul will then say, I'll boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For when I am weak, I am strong. It's so different than the world's way of living, where everybody's trying to get to the top. If I have to knock other people off on my way there, I'll, get, I'll do it. i got to get to the top. But see, the fall has messed us up so much that we're so filled with ourselves and our ways and our purposes. And yet God comes in Christ and delivers us from that slavery, our bondage to ourselves particularly, and living in that way. And so as we come on the Lord's day, it's such a gift. It's like he stops us in our tracks. So that even this past week, when we we think of the shooting in Texas or other things, or even, you know, I I didn't know about Bill, you know, things that might be very difficult. The Lord stops us on the Lord's day and says, this is not the end. And if we've been aware of our sins, he reminds us, sadly, I can't do the Lord's Supper because I'm not tackling a T.E. yet, but that, He reminds us, I have died for your sins. They are forgiven. We're reminded once again of the forgiveness that we have until he comes. That we have a future hope, a sure hope that's not dependent on us. It's all dependent on God. He sent his son, and his son came, was absolutely faithful. And he will absolutely come again, and he'll absolutely fulfill his promises. And if you're in Christ, you'll absolutely have a place in heaven because the Lord's going there to prepare a place for you. And so we have a great, great encouragement here as far as the triumphal work of the ministry of the church, even in our weaknesses, even in your transition. <laughs> I've heard new families have been coming. That's a glorious thing. I know, I know things change in the church, but it's still Christ's church. And he will not lose one. And he will not forsake you. And so you have great hope and expectation. Over the last number of years, I've been listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was probably one of the most famous preachers of the 1900s, and he gave an 18-lecture series at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. I've listened to all of them, but in one of them, he's talking, he says, do you expect anything to happen when you go to worship? And he's not talking to general parishioners, he's talking to pastors. He says, do you expect anything to happen? I thought, well, that's that's a pretty bold question. And the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely, yes. And we should come, not because we're strong or wise or mighty, because it's Christ's church and it's Christ's means. And God knows what he's doing. And when Christ's means are put out there, no matter how other people might respond, it keeps going forward because those are the means of grace whereby God saves his people and preserves his people and will finally glorify his people. This is no small event that we do on the Lord's Day. It's different than everything else we do in the world. And so every Lord's Day, we should come expectantly and pray. Pray for for God's work to be happening in the the midst of our worship. Sometimes it it is a more outward show. You might see somebody in the corner weeping as they've been convicted of their sins and coming to Christ. But often it's that more glorious work, in a sense, it's that quiet, Slow, steady advance where Christ's lordship becomes more and more a part of your life. Where the sins of the past have been exposed and you've repented and the Holy Spirit leads you into new holiness and righteousness and conforming to Christ. Sometimes it's a painful transition, but sometimes it's a joyful transition. So every time you come together, no matter how weak you may be as individuals or a body, your strength is in Christ. Whether you're facing life-threatening illnesses or broken relationships or even your transition as a congregation, your hope is in Christ. (laughs) And he is mightier than you and I or the corporate power of this whole body. Secondly, and not because it's less, but... Uh, the second part of this, uh, I want to say under this first point, is that the ministry is about Christ. The ministry is about Christ. Paul says in, uh, uh, in the passage I read earlier, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. The whole ministry is about Jesus. The whole goal is to be one body together with one force pointing to Christ the power of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the forgiveness of sins in Christ. And that everybody in the body has a part. Every believer has a part in that, that place. The, the pastor has a part. The ruling elders have a part. The deacons have a part. Every member, even the children, have a part if they're in Christ. And so we try to, to, to fulfill that faithfully. Those are callings that God gives. They're not, there's not something we vote on. I want to be this or I want to be that. I mean, we do vote for officers, but what we're doing is confirming something that we think God is doing in their lives. We're not trying to make them something that they're not. I know without a shadow of a doubt I'll never be a mother. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I know some things. And so, I, but, and so that's not what God has for me. I know that automatically. It's just crossed off the list. I am to be a father, and I, I am. But I think we need to think more about that, that everybody has a place. And when we're all doing our, our, our parts, it, it's the body working together in love to the glory of God as we wait for his return, as we wait for our Lord's return. And so that's what your ministry is about. That's what your ministry is about. So first, the power of the ministry is triumphant by God's grace, and it's about Christ. But secondly, the effects of ministry. I might have gone too long on that first point, so I'll, I'll try to be more succinct here. And this is what we see in uh, 2 Corinthians two, fifteen to 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. This is an amazing statement. I think sometimes we read the word of God and our eyes kind of glaze over and the, the reality of what is being said is missed. It's being missed. Now, Cliff alluded earlier to those who are 40 in the uh, Sears catalog. I remember the, the wish book, so I appreciated that analogy. But we have to go up to 50 for this next one. There used to be a commercial on television for cheese doodles. I looked it up. I don't even know if they still make them, but it's like Cheetos. And this one commercial had this girl and, and she had a bag of, che- of uh, cheese doodles in her hand. And her mother says, okay, I want you to take these to Grandma. You can have some, but save some cheese doodles for Grandma. Got it. So the girl starts off. This is She's walking by herself, which is pretty amazing. But anyhow, she, she leaves the house, and she makes her journey to her grandmother. And in her head, she's going, save some cheese doodles for Grandma. Save some cheese doodles for Grandma. And she's popping them in her mouth. And she gets to the door of her grandmother, and she's all expected to give her what's left over from the bag. She says, Grandma, guess what I have? Me. It was, the bag was empty. The bag was empty. But this whole, the reason I bring this up is she's saying the right thing, but it's not sinking in. <laughs> all along, she's popping these things in her mouth. She didn't say anything for Grandma. But but sadly, I think sometimes we come to the word of God. And this passage to me is so striking that the gospel for some is glorious and for some it's the aroma of death. Now, over the last five years, this this passage came to light more just in God's providence. In July of 2017, my daughter had been living with Glenn's son up in New York up to that time. She was a teacher where Glenn uh, Jr. is. But my daughter was transitioning to Memphis, so I, I was driving my daughter to Memphis to, to, to move there, and we're driving down the road, and it's hot, it's humid. I'm driving in my van, and all of a sudden, it was kind of damp on the road, and this big puddle splashes up onto my van. Now, I have smelled dead animals before. In fact, I have a story with Marco Pica. We were going through a junkyard. It was a, it's like, what does that smell? It's a dead cow in a junkyard. But this was the worst thing I'd ever smelled. It was rotted flesh, and it came up on my car and left a film. It smelled so bad, I think I got off on the first exit. This was not the wisest thing. I went, ah! <laughs> and I said, we've got to get to a car wash. So we started looking for a car wash. It, it was gagging. It was so bad. And so that's like the aroma of death. But then last year, I went to my father's gravesite at Arlington Cemetery. My father is, is buried there, and I went with my mom. She goes every year. We used to go together. And near my father's gravesite, there's a magnolia tree. Now I don't think I've ever smelled a magnolia blossom before. I must not have. So I smelled this blossom. I thought, oh, this is one of the most glorious things I've ever smelled. It was so beautiful. It must make perfume like that. So we have this. We have this dichotomy, this comparison of the gospel to some smelling like death, like rotted flesh, and to others it's like this great perfume. And as Christians we say, how can somebody not love the gospel? And I think this is part of the, the confusion of our time. How can it be? We, we who love Jesus, we sing about Jesus' glory in hymn number 645 in our hymnal, Jesus, the very thought of thee, with sweetness fills my breast, but sweeter far they face to see, thy face to see, and in thy presence rest. Nor voice can sing, nor heart can frame, nor can the memory find a sweeter sound than thy blessed name, O Savior of mankind. Or hymn number 647, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. That's our Jesus to us as a Christian. But we know that's not the only way that people respond, and it's hard for us to get it. I was involved with youth ministry when I was first a Christian, and I just thought if I get the message right, they're going to love it because Jesus is so lovable. This is my last allusion to a a commercial, but there used to be a commercial for Sarah Lee. Uh, Nobody doesn't like something, but nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. Oh, no, everybody doesn't like something, but nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. Nobody doesn't like ceremony. But I think we think about that with Jesus. Nobody doesn't love Jesus. Nobody. And over time, the word was so obvious that Jesus himself said, people will hate you because you love Christ. If they hated me, they'll hate you. And so we're not surprised. See, the light of the word tells us that ahead of time. God always gives his people heads up all the time. And the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Here we are, a fallen world. But we need to come to grips with that. And even if we know it theologically, I think emotionally it's still, you know, we think somehow I can massage this to make them like it or they can, surely it's going to penetrate. And God says, no, not in every case. Not in every case. I want to read from our, our confession of faith uh, in, uh, I think it's one 940. Let me double check here. This is on effectual calling, and it gives us an idea of what's going on here. This is... I'm sorry. Oh, doing good for a while there. This is chapter 10. If you want to look in your hymnal, it's in, on page 854. Of effectual calling. All those whom God hath predestined unto life, and those only, he is pleased and is appointed at an accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit, out of this state of sin and death, that those who were his enemies, those who thought that the gospel was was death unto them, are transformed, in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly, to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good. That's what Cliff was talking about, the gospel, moving us more and more into the image of Christ and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing By his grace, this effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone. It's not normal to all humanity. Not from anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive therein until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace uh, uh, offered and conveyed in it. So we see that there's a transformation that for all men in Adam is fallen. Without Christ, the gospel is death. Usually we see it as apathy or negligence, but but sometimes it's just vehemence. We see it in John 9 when Jesus heals the blind man and the Pharisees are just hating Christ. We need to understand that that is the world we live in. That is normal. It doesn't mean we don't keep preaching the gospel because we don't know who the elect are. We keep putting the gospel out there. But we need to know in the end that there will be some who will hate it. We read in the book of Revelation, the bowls of wrath are poured out and people gnash their teeth and curse God and they would not repent. That's the sobriety that we need in our day. And there's a variety of reasons we need to have, but First of all, we just need to simply realize not everybody's going to love the gospel. It is glorious. It is beautiful. We know that as children of God. But that's a gift from God. And so some will hate you because of your unity with your union and identity in Christ. Some will hate you. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you because you're in union with me. The gospel is offensive apart from those that God works in their hearts. And yet we shouldn't be discouraged by that because God has told us that ahead of time. The Apostle Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. He doesn't say for the sake of the lost. Now, I'm not saying that Paul knew who the elect were, but he went out in ministry confidently knowing that there were those that would respond to the gospel even in the midst of the opposition he faced. The Apostle Paul is an amazing person. If he were to take off his shirt and show you his back, before he became a Christian, it would be like probably most of our backs. Hardly any scars, nothing. But once he started to follow Christ, once the gospel had gripped him, it would be like he he was in a horrific battle. As he experienced 40 lashes minus 1, as he was stoned and thought dead. That's what the gospel did. And the Lord told him that he would suffer many things for, for his sake, but he he didn't complain. He said, thy will be done. He calls it light momentary affliction. <laughs> we, have, we need to have our, our perspectives changed in light of Christ's love for us and our calling and our destiny. Paul was not a superman in and of himself. He, he didn't seem to be kind of an A-type personality. But Christ transformed him, and so it was like a switch. He went from a God-hater to a God-lover. Who wanted to serve God and glorify Him, whether life and in death. A second application is some will hate your calling and your way of life. In 1 Thessalonians 4 3, it says, This is the will of the Lord, your sanctification. And sadly, holiness and godliness have a bad name in our society and sometimes in the church. And I think we must really misunderstand what it is because it's a glorious calling. It's being transformed into the image of Christ. This is what we were saved for, to be transformed to the image of his son in Ephesians 1 says. And I think many Christians don't understand that process. As as Cliff said, we have that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, never to not have it. But we're not yet what we will be. And there's definitive sanctification when he gives us a new heart, but then there's that progressive sanctification where we keep wanting to, we need to hear the gospel and hear the gospel and hear the gospel and he conforms us to the image of his son from glory to glory. And so it's not like God forsakes us. It's not like God loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. No. But we need to know the end. He is going to convict us of our sins even as his children, as, as Cliff said. And he'll lead us to repentance. And the writer to the Hebrews says, no discipline for the moment seems pleasurable. I've confessed sins to people. It was not very pleasant, but after that, I was walking in righteousness. And this is probably the most important application in one sense in our day. There will be a temptation to change the gospel to be more palatable, to be more winsome, but in a wrong manner. manner. And it can even be with good intentions. This is what I'm seeing in the church over the last few years, particularly in response to the matter of sexuality. The word of God is always a light into our path. Psalm 119, um, I think it's 50, no, it's 105, I'm sorry. It will always be a light, and God demonstrates in his word what is pleasing to him. And I think many, even in the church now, are trying to massage the gospel. It's like, don't touch the gospel. You cannot touch the gospel. Paul will say, I won't adulterate the word. I won't adulterate the word. He trusts in the power of the pure gospel to do its work, to have its right implications. But there's, it's so subtle. I hear these things being said. There was a ministry at one time that says that they would go out and say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, if you've ever read through the whole scripture, you know that can't be true. You can't say that a pharaoh... If you mean eternal glory, you can't say that of Judas. The Lord Jesus said, you know, it would have been better for him not to have been born. Now, I can't comprehend all that means, but the point is you can't say those things. The church was, those people were well-intentioned. I've heard they've repented since. But see, we start to get on these paths because we're not paying close attention to what's on the page of Scripture. The whole scripture is totally reasonable in its place in the the whole of scripture. And so we need to, to be aware of that because slowly it's eroding. The lines are being erased. We forget that we're saved unto holiness. People might have ungodly affections. We all have ungodly affections. To some degree, they have to repent. Now, I've said this before at another preaching in my own congregation, so I'm free to say it here. I just celebrated my 40th anniversary. Uh, May 15th, and I rejoice. I love my wife more than ever. I think I'm more proactive, loving her than ever. But there's things that come into my head, a lustful thought. And I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm supposed to love that woman. That's the only one. And I'm not happy with the lustful thoughts, but they're there. And I have to say, Lord, you you just know what I thought there. But slowly, that's even eroding by God's power. So we shouldn't be surprised when we have murderous thoughts. It's like, where did that come from? Or lustful thoughts. They're not right. They're not good. The Word of God says no. It's that remaining corruption is God's people as he's making us like Christ, as he moves us more and more into holiness. Now, I'm I'm not going to go with the third point, uh, but I want to say one more thing about this second point. This raises the question about loved ones about loved ones, family members, friends, go down the line, who may have just turned away from the Lord, totally. Well, We don't know what the Lord's end is yet. And so we pray, maybe we fast and pray. We see that wonderful example of David who committed sin with Bathsheba, and she was bearing a child, the Lord said the child's going to die, but he fasted and prayed. But when the child died, he knew that was it. He he moved on. And so as long as there's life, we keep praying. You know, I'm sure it grieves some of you that you have like, children or parents or whatever that don't know Christ. Or worse than that, people have professed and gone off another direction. The Lord might bring them back. We don't know. So we keep praying. We have, that, we have access to the throne of grace, as the writer to the Hebrews says. So we don't lose heart. But I think there's something that's very important here, too, is that ultimately we are not God. I think sometimes, I'll confess this for myself, it's like, okay, Lord, what are we going to do today? Now, he is my brother, but he's also my Lord, and he is God, and I am not. <laughs> and so, there's things that he is not going to tell me. And so, when we have loved ones that seem to, maybe not, we're Christians, we don't know the end. We don't know what happened. We don't know what the Lord's doing in their hearts now. We see, you know, it's good to see these examples in In the church, where a drastic change, you know, even Paul, what a dramatic change. You know, when somebody was sent to get him, it's like, Lord, do you know who this is? (laughs) He's your brother now. He's your brother now. So, all to say, we keep praying, and the Lord is kind. The Lord is kind. We see the, the diligence and the fervor of David's prayer for this, just for the life of the child. It's okay to pray for our children and loved ones like that, too. We know that the power doesn't reside in them. It resides in God. He's the one who can change the heart. When he, when he brought Lydia to himself, it was like pfft, hardly anything. The Lord opened her heart to hear the things of Paul. We see the apostle Paul, it's like somebody took a spiritual baseball bat to his head. Not in a bad way. You know, It was a powerful, blunt force of the Holy Spirit in a glorious way that turned this man around. And so we have great hope, not because of us again, as we started off with, but because the Lord is kind, and the Lord is good, and as we heard, he's all-powerful. And so with that, I know, I was going to let it go, Glenn, because I've been going so long, but uh, I don't want to take a vote here. But um, (laughs) uh, Well, I I will go since Glenn says something, but thank you, Glenn. (laughs) I didn't pay him for that, by the way. The third point is, uh, make sure I have it here is the method of ministry, and this is very important, particularly for you all as you move forward, as you look for a pastor. The Apostle Paul says he's not a peddler of the word, and he was so different. He's defending his ministry. He's been absolutely called by Christ to do this, and there are other people thinking, I'm the same as you. I'm the same as you. And... it's hard to say what was going on there. Did they have a false gospel? It may not have been, but it was the motivation that they wanted to make money or get up the ladder. And I'm sure in your own workplace over the years, even in the ministry I've seen this, where people are trying to get up the ladder, like, I want to get up there. But in the meantime, it's like, who's guarding the sheep? Who's watching over the sheep? Who's a faithful shepherd like David, even though David was a sinner? He was like the type of the David to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's a method in how this goes. It's a love for Christ, it's a desire to do his business. Calvin said, We need to bear in mind that it is his business that we are transacting and bring forward nothing but what has come from him. It's so hard. <laughs> it is so hard to be not full of ourselves and be full of Christ, even in the preaching of the word. It's to his glory. The Apostle Peter is a glorious example. You know, he denied the Lord three times. And at the end of John's gospel, you see him being restored. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And if you don't read the whole scripture, you won't get to see the benefit of this, how it plays out. Because in 2 Peter, in the first chapter, Peter is so focused on his calling. He says to his audience, he says, I've made provisions for you after my impending death, that you might remember these things. What a glorious shepherd. You know, we try to leave an inheritance for our kids, and really as parents, the most glorious inheritance is the gospel. But then secondly, there's that, there's that if you are in a position of, of, of power, or not power so much, but responsibility, is that you take it so seriously, you don't see the end of it at your life, but you see it going forward. And so Peter was making provisions so that after his passing, they would still hear the truth and still be blessed by the gospel. Again, as you look for a pastor, 1 Timothy 4 is an amazing passage. And I, sadly, I feel like so many in the ministry don't take this to heart. This is um, Paul talking to Timothy. He says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and faith, and purity. Not hypocrisy. He was supposed to be, as we say, walk the talk. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. It was his calling. This is Timothy's calling. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your ears. I don't see this in great measure today. I think a lot of people, like I said, are trying to get up the ladder. It's like, what are you doing? What are the sheep doing? What are, you, what are your sheep like as you're going up the ladder? Now, it doesn't mean that we don't grow into positions. I know in workplaces you grow. You're faithful here, and they say, hey, can you do this? Yeah, you move up the ladder. But it's not like you're irresponsible so you can get to the next place. And in our day, the church, because of COVID in part, what has happened to the pastor's eyes? What am I going to do about COVID? What am I going to do about masks? What am I going to do about social issues? And their focus has been off the word, and I think the evil one has had a field day of sorts because they have not attended to the word of God. It's still our ultimate authority. It's still where the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is found. And so it makes us wise in these other things. We don't have perfect wisdom, but it makes us wise. And we're trying to deal with these issues. It's like, go back to the Word. Your calling is to be in the Word and to, and to expound it. Because everybody needs Christ, even the pastor. And so this, this is what Paul was so different than these um, counterfeit pastors or apostles. And so the Lord is kind, and so you need to pray for that. And he's kind. I expect he'll give you somebody who's, you know, who loves Christ and loves the church. That's all it's about, really. All the other stuff is just glitz. So the, the ministry of the church is triumphant because of Christ, and it's all about Christ. It'll be a ministry that not everybody will love, but it's already been told us ahead of time. So we shouldn't be discouraged. And finally, it's a ministry that needs to be done with integrity love for Christ and love for the Word of God. And God will bless that. It may not be that you get hundreds, but we never should despise the day of small things. Whatever is real is real, whatever God does is true. You don't want a a body of hypocrites, you want a body of sheep. And Lord is kind, and I trust he'll, he will provide for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, your word is always a light into our path. Even when we don't expect it, we come and we think, oh, it's worship once again. And all of a sudden, we see our hearts convicted this way. Or we're encouraged by your love, how, how deep your love for us is in Christ, that he would, he would die in our place. He would bear our penalty. He would bear the wrath that we deserve never to experience it ourselves. So we ask that you would help us to keep going in your word, keep hearing the gospel, as Cliff has said. That we would be patient as you work in our souls and not discouraged. That you discipline those whom you love. Every child of yours gets disciplined. And it's not for a a fading, vain glory that we have in this world like sports teams or musicians that come and go. But it will be an eternal glory that will last for eternity all to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.